0: Someone's got to be in charge. Why about you?
1: Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Live Leaderly Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Alba. Here on the show, we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership, which just become stories about life. I ask that with the people in your life, please tell your story, listen to theirs, but in the meantime, we'll do it together. Here on the Live Leaderly Podcast. And on the show today, we have Founder and Executive Director at Resolve Solutions Incorporated, Sean Lanier. Sean, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Darren.
0: Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, Sean, if you, uh, if you could, could you kick us off with a little bit about your background and uh, where you're from? Well,
0: again, uh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, Sean Lanier, Founder and Executive Director for Resolve Solutions Incorporated. i uh, dialing in here from uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And if you, you know, if you want to know a little bit about my background, like this, for your imagination, just think about, you know, going to an air show and you know, looking at all the people in the crowd, you see this two-year-old little boy trying to stare at the aircraft and wandering around and the mom is trying to pull him and get him in the stands and get into the shade. Well, I was that kid. So if you can imagine, I figured out pretty early what I wanted to do in life. And it was exacerbated by the fact that my father was a medevac pilot. And for those out there that remember MASH, the TV show, the helicopters are flying uh, the patients and the nurses run up the hill to you know, get them down to the hospital. But uh, my father took me a, a Pigeon Force, Tennessee, in one of those helicopters. And if you remember, you know it was like a big bubble with no doors and aircraft. And it was pretty much put together with sticks and you know yarn. Um, so you can imagine being a five-year-old kid. And, and one of those things, he had a, the sensation, the dual sensation of thinking that you're going to fall out the aircraft, but also the sensation, the serenity of looking at God's country from above, flying over the Smoky Mountains. You know, yeah, you can say I was hooked. So um, uh, I was very fortunate that, you know, I was a strong military family, had a lot of members that served off our, uh, branches of service in the military. So when I said I want to be a pilot, um, they said, hey, go make it happen. Uh, there was no choices of really about going to the civilian route. Uh, it was understood that you were going to serve that was the pathway to uh, getting your uh, palace license. And that's what I ended up doing. I was uh, fortunate enough to um, go through the GRTC, uh did uh, my commissioning source was the Virginia Military Institute. Um, I was very good, decent at uh, track and I was able to put, um, you know, be that scholar athlete leader type and was commissioned aviation. And, you know, the next 20 years went by kind of a blur, <laughs> you know, went to, uh, you know, about six deployments, been about 35 countries, learned to speak five languages. And, you know, but toward the end of my career, I realized that flying was my childhood dream and uh, I had the opportunity to give to give back. So I started off as a volunteer alumni recruiter for VMI, proving the diversity there. But I quickly realized uh, working in the Pentagon that it was a much bigger issue that, you know, getting kids into VMI was a small part of the puzzle but getting kids into the UVA, into the service academies, into HBCUs like you know Hampton University or Jackson State University, once you start doing that and, and spreading the, and ensuring people different ways and how they can serve in different commission sources, you also teach the populace, particularly those counselors, parents, coaches, you know that 98% of the nation that didn't serve, you start teaching them what you're looking for, so they become you know the folks that recruit is for you to identify that talent, they have those grit. Honor, integrity—that you're looking for to be those candidates to be potential officers. So, um, I went along that path, and uh, nice they say you know, uh, eight years and 530 kids from 23 states. Later, they earned about 43 million dollars toward their undergraduate degree. Uh, here we are. That's
1: awesome! Incredible program that you have over there. A fun question to branch off from there is, Sean, if you could think about your first formal leadership as a as a kid or a young you know a young person.
0: I joined the Scouts, uh, Boy Scout Troop 275, uh, Fort Lee, Virginia. And um, you know how adults are, they're always, you know, trying to keep you busy or keep you busy enough to fall asleep at night, right? And start eating up all their food. But they say, hey, you wanna go on this um you go on a bicycle trip? And I was like, yeah, sure, that's great. So I got excited. It turned out to be riding the Cumberland, uh, Cumberland Trail in Maryland, like 275 miles over a week. So my first leadership experience was essentially, you know getting this massive list of items and then talking to other kids about making sure and checking them to make sure they got stuff. And I didn't, I didn't even know what I had. I mean, I'm trying to carry all this stuff. You didn't think about, you know, hey, I mean, you got, you got this catalog of stuff you want to carry everything. You're not thinking, that, man, I actually had to bike this stuff. And you know, how long is 275 miles? So, you know, that was my leadership experience just going in is just, you know, getting my stuff to prepare and going check on everybody else to make sure they had those things. And I didn't think about his leadership. I was just, Hey man, I am just going out for a ride.
1: <laughs> I'm just out here having fun. Um, little do we know that we're we're gaining a skill that we won't realize until much later down the line. Um, so so maybe not yes. scout um, scout Sean, but if you could think back to a cadet or a lieutenant um Lanier, and compare him to the leader Sean the leader today, what would you highlight as as some of the big big differences between then and now from a leadership standpoint?
0: I think the big, I think the biggest thing that um, it's a consistency. I mean, there's always been a compassion with me to, uh, to assist others. I've always felt really uh, good about not just you know doing things well for yourself, but figuring out how to make other people better. And I think that goes back from the Boy Scout um, troop experience to even when I was in college. Um, uh, unfortunately, I ran track, but I um, saw my IT band, so. My last couple of years, I couldn't run, but I was a team manager. So I still became something of a coach. And you know, even though I couldn't compete, I still was very fiery and competitive. And I saw other people and their talent, wanted them to be better. And I think that's the same thing as a platoon leader, because as a platoon leader, you're coming in and you're, you're thinking about, oh man, I got people older than me, they got kids and everything, but how can I make them better? How can I make them better fathers? And you start to realize that Making them go to do their um, you know, going to certain training, making sure that they go to being there for the war ceremony, and making sure that their family's there when they see them get promoted. You know, it's very small, but it's significant because you you now you're starting to, you know, help them understand that they're part of something bigger than themselves and and you get in a family of all then seeing that their, their um their husband and their father and their spouses, they're they're part of something larger. And I think that's the same thing as I transitioned my career and even what I do with resolve, it's not about Ishaan Lanier. You know, it's about, hey, how do you take this talent out here and help them be their best selves? And, you know, I'm not doing it for them. They have to do the work. But just sharing them what the opportunities are and, and teaching them how to do, then get back and make people around them better, even if the ones that we don't touch, they can, they're can they going to be leaders themselves. So over time, that, that people
1: aspect of our jobs, no matter if you're a wrench turner, a button pusher, whatever it is. Uh, there there's still people at the end of the day, and so I think over time we learn that connection, um how strong that connection is and how powerful that connection can be over time. But along the way throughout your your career, military career and beyond, um were there many moments where you know you'd look around and be
0: like, dang, what what did I get myself into? <laughs> I think it happens a lot more often what people uh are let on, and I remember showing up I had on the on PCS from uh, Italy for Ch- Pacenza. So you went from a light infantry unit and then I was going to third ID and I was going to be the, uh, the the brigade S four. And I'm like, okay, you know, just an- another gig, whatever. But we went out to your first meeting, you know, it's just like you get to a unit. You're always going to run with the commander Went out for a five mile run with the brigade commander. I think I remember standing out at PT that morning and just listening to yeah. 4,000 soldiers yelling and the revelé. And then you do the Rock Lamar and the song and just people cheering. And it, it just hit me like, wow, there's 4,000 people out here. There's a lot of equipment. I'm going from heavy unit to light unit. How am I going to do this? And we got to get ready to go to Iraq here. And uh, at that time, I, I showed up in November. I found out a little bit later. We didn't think we were going to leave until May. We got to went over to Kuwait and did a recon. And I realized with my transportation background like man we're gonna be leaving sooner than we planned so that became very overwhelming i think the thing that comes in your are trained is that as a leader you have that moment you can be overwhelmed but there's a serenity that comes in is that calm that bottom line you got to get down to problem solve and you're not going to solve the entire puzzle you got to put one piece in and work to the next piece you saw that picture you saw that problem you go to the next problem you saw that problem, you go to the next problem now of course you got to move a little bit faster and you got to you know connect all the dots but i think as leaders that's what we that's what we get paid to do is solve problems and position people with success and it's up to us you know that one-third two-thirds rule we have to come up with a plan that one-third amount of them the time to give you soldiers and people two-thirds of the time to execute and give them time to plan to prepare and go from there so i think it just becomes an automatic type of loving and reflex you know you just yeah you take a deep breath like okay all right how are we gonna get it done it's not i'm gonna fail it's like how am gonna get it done and you attack
1: I think there's a lot of different sayings like, um, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, and, and, and similar sayings mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but you got to see the elephant first, and then and then you start making these these little progresses towards it. But that problem solving, one of the problems that, that young people face is, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? What what's my next step in life? And that's a lot of what your your program and your organization does. Could you talk a little bit about that program, its beginnings, and and what what it is you guys do over there?
0: Well, RSI started off as a, initially a volunteer alumni recruiting effort. I'm an alum of the Virginia Military Institute, and they had a problem recruiting, retaining, graduating, and commissioning African-American males. Like you stated earlier, you got to eat that elephant one piece at a time. And as I started, you know, just going out to simple fairs and connecting with folks, I started, I started to realize that, you know, of course, VMI is not for everyone, just like the service academy is not for everyone. So what are some other options for them? So I say, well, hey, we consider, you know, James Madison University, they got a strong ROTC program. And we consider this school, say, oh, OK, then we'll pull the student in So as you started becoming more helpful to them in solving their problems, getting kids into schools, helping them find money to pay for school, they were more open to different pathways to get there. So as I started this uh, scale, I mean, start helping more kids and start realizing, like, OK, what's well, what's the bigger problem here? Going to the service academies, you know, is free. Everything is paid for. There's a system. With ROTC, it's a little bit different because the ROTC scholarship pays for tuition fees. There's still a delta from the board costs. What I didn't understand was how much the college costs had increased and how much of the financial stress that was on kids. I mean, you're coming into a generation of kids now that saw their parents go through the housing crisis, went through two stock market crashes. So kids were a lot more hypersensitive to not putting their parents in debt. So as I'm listening to students and figuring out what their fears and their concerns, like, man, you know, you sound like an old, old person. Now, put this on your parents. Let them worry about that. But you realize that, no, they I mean, it's a family decision that kids were just wanted to be helpful to their families and they want to take a burden off their families. And they understood that. So we uh, we that's when I started RSI and I started realizing that, hey, if you more kids that you help get into these institutions, it, it, it solves a need for our nation as far as a national security and mission readiness by making sure we got qualified, capable leaders. But at the same time, they help the communities. You know, the majority of people don't serve for 20 years, you know, but we need them to go out here with that leadership training and, you know, go to law school, med school, MBA, become these veteran entrepreneurs and be that leadership and bring that brain trust back to the communities and help be part of that base and be part of that citizen soldier concept where they're not just leaders, but they're now leaders in their community.
1: This, this opportunity for this one student, you know, it goes beyond just that one student. Um, they become a role model for others and it goes... Much more than just this education and this, this job for this one student. There's a cascading effect that, that y'all are, are having this great impact on. Um, but, but some students may, might not want that responsibility of, of being a leader, right? They might, they might say to themselves, oh, military, I'm, I'm not a leader. I, I can't do that. Do you run into students like that? It's
0: not that folks don't want to be a leader. A lot of students haven't thought about it, right? And I think that as leaders, sometimes you just, you just gotta push people in there. Talk to a kid and say, hey, well, what do you wanna do when you grow up? And they say, well, I'm interested in forensics and you're like, okay, yeah, great. You've been watching CSI. Well, you remember that person in the lab coat and they got the glasses and everything. You notice that person that come in with a clipboard, they read the report and they leave and make decisions. Why aren't you that person? You know, someone's got to be in charge. Why not you? And once you, again, I go back to listening to what a person's goals are and then land on the path of them and then challenge them to uh, expect more of themselves, you'll find out who the leaders are. And I find it 90% of the kids, like, yeah, I, I want to be in charge. You know, I, I find very few kids that say, hey, I want to be a follower. Now they understand that in order to be a leader, you have to be a follower. They understand that process, but they just want to know, okay, then yeah, I can do this, you know. And I think that we have a responsibility that, and not ask them if they want to be elitist, but challenge them in a way to give them a, a false positive, like, yeah, why aren't you leading? Why aren't you in charge? And they look like, yeah, well, I should be in charge. But how do we give them the skill sets in order to be competent, capable leaders? I
1: like that. Why not you? Give them those skill sets. And part of that journey is finding that purpose. And you you find that out by digging into these these students and finding out what they care about. What's the light bulb moment when you're trying to get these students to that purpose? Something that you say or do or something they realize that leads to that?
0: I wish I could say, because everyone's different. It's just like, you know, when you start the military and you start talking to your soldiers and you ask people why they serve, it's a variety of ways that uh, that they get there. And I think that 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 aha moment comes in. And I think the beauty about what I do is that I can see that maturation over time and, you know, and that they may not necessarily see it themselves. And sometimes, you know, you know, some kids hit the ground and boom, they're just frustrated. Everything works out well. Um, they, they're clicking on all cylinders. Everything's hitting. They just got it. Then there's some kids that, you know, they're on a struggle bus, right? They they, they got to find their tribe. They fig, you know, but they figure it out. They have to struggle a little bit and then they hit their stride. Then there's some kids that they're on a struggle bus every day. You know, they wake up and it's a struggle. It's a battle. And they had to get through. I enjoy them the most because what you're looking for at that point is for them not to quit. know i don't care how much you struggle just don't quit because you're going to learn from the adversity you're going to learn what you're capable of dealing with so is there a a a point that happens that is aha moment yes but it it happens at different times because even the kids that are successful at everything they hit they hit a point where they struggle too it's not always known to the public it may be a little bit later but they have it too and what you're really looking for that aha moment is a okay you've hit that wall of adversity Are you going to climb it? Are you going to go around it? Are you going to run through it? Which one is it? But we're not going to turn around and quit and walk back. And um, I think that when you see it, it, there's a there's a certain quiet confidence. And it's not that they're asking questions. I think the aha moment comes in when they're telling you what they're going to do. They have command of it. They have the command. that They're now they're the captain of their ship and determined on the destiny because. When you're talking to them in the beginning you're kind of guiding them and say hey this is what you want to do hey consider this consider this training consider this you know this taking this uh internship that may you know help you with these skills later on but when they get it and then they say come back and say hey sir this is what i'm going to do this one i do that and you're like okay they got it and what you're doing at that point is making a little bit of tweet or sometimes not a, not at all and it, it happens i spoke with a young lady last night she's a freshman at penn state and she told me exactly what she was going to do this summer, you know, uh, study, I uh, want to go do study abroad in Portuguese, but it was totally different than in high school when I'm explaining the process and helping her understand what the army means, what does it for her and her family? how she's going to be a leader? And in one semester, it's like, boom, it clicked. So, but that's, that goes to the great uh, leadership. And I'm sure there was an NCO involved at Penn state that got her straight. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely.
1: It's a, it's an incredible moment when you can say, I'm going to do this. And you've taken ownership of this this path and uh, you go on from there. But we're, we're about to wrap up here, Sean. Uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Do you have any closing thoughts for the podcast? And where could someone learn
0: more about Resolve Solutions Incorporated? You can find us on on the web, uh, resolvesolutions.org. Uh, you can find us there, learn more about the program, hear about some amazing stories. You can also see us on Instagram and, and Twitter and see some uh, a lot of associated a lot of names and faces to the institutions that they serve. And these, you know, the takeaway is that, hey, these are our future leaders. So the more you pour into them, um, then the, the safer uh, we we are as a nation. And that's the that's the takeaway message. So um, please check us out and look forward to meeting you on the high road.
1: All right. Well, thank you. This is Sean Lanier. For all those listening, thanks for joining us here on the Live Leaderly podcast.